welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We are here with Brad Freeman. This is your third episode, so we're getting into the groove with you. But we got uh, your college uh, basketball team as a number one seed in the March Madness tournament. I cannot uh, say I've been watching much college basketball, but what are your thoughts? The, the Wolverines, they got a shot this year or what? Well, they always have a shot, but uh, yeah. Isaiah Livers is one of our best players, and he is he's unfortunately injured. So wow. if we can figure out a way to squeak out these these first two wins of the tournament, get through the first weekend, and I am, like, crossing my fingers, uh, he comes back and we can make a run um, when the competition kind of stiffens a little bit. But he did – he did po- – not to, not to nerd out too much on this, but no, no, he did good. change his profile picture to Kobe Bryant shooting through an injury – so I took that to mean he was Huge. he was uh, he was ready to play. That's, so I'm really hoping that happens. That is that's a fantastic like, sign. Uh, that's like investors going through LinkedIn. Yeah, I to be like yeah. it's a sign. It's a sign. They have a uh, they have an ad for a cybersecurity AI analyst. This thing's gonna <laughs> pop off. But we have uh, we also have uh, another number one seed alumni here, Gonzaga, with uh, oh yes, Brady. But, producer Brady. Yeah, but this isn't a basketball podcast. We are talking Callaway Golf today. Uh, gonna go over the whole company. I don't know. Do the standard stuff before we do that first. Yeah, we got to talk seven investing first. You can use our code CCM at checkout or the link in the show notes to get ten dollars off your first month. So it's just seven bucks to try it, and then through after that, it's uh, seventeen dollars a month or one hundred seventy dollars a year. So if you want to do a yearly subscription, right. that's even better. And if you're thinking about it, you know you've been on the fence. I mean, we're going to give you an opportunity to try it out for cheap, and then you'll see that the research is really strong. And I, I don't want to. You won't churn. I know yeah, you won't. Yeah, you can't. Don't churn on us. Uh, we don't <laughs> want that because you know the service is great. You really want to do that each month. But it's not necessarily them telling you what to do. It's more of just recommendations and research that is community. just strong. And I, I saw you know the ones last month. There was a few that I was checking out, and you know it doesn't really. You know we're not just buying something because they say it, but it kind of springboards an idea. Okay, I'm going to research this further. So it's a I think great idea. Yeah, we're thinking of the same one. Yeah, sure. probably, yes. Won't say it by name. We don't, yeah, won't, won't spoil it, but. For $7, you can go see it. It's a, it's a great idea generator, but we don't want to harp on that too much. So Ryan, do you want to get into Callaway? Yeah, so Callaway Golf, I, I have a direct quote from their IR page here. Callaway Golf Company is a premium golf equipment and active lifestyle company. So there's, now there's a bunch of different parts to the business, but the bulk of it is still golf equipment. So uh, that makes up 62% of revenue. Um, And that includes golf clubs, drivers, irons, putters are actually under the Odyssey brand. Um, And then they have golf balls, which are apparently really competitive and make up a sizable portion of revenue. Um, But then there's the apparel side. That's also, they also use the term soft goods in there. So Callaway has its own apparel. I'm sure you've seen people wearing Callaway clothes if you've ever golfed. Um, But Callaway also owns Travis Matthew, OGO. Am I saying that right? Or is it OGIO? 
I don't know, but those backpacks just kind of like they're kind of like Yeti. Yeah, and, a bit. And then Jack Wolf skin. So Travis Matthew is basically just another golf brand if you're not familiar with it. And then OGO is more of storage gear. So backpacks, duffel bags, that kind of thing. I have an OGO backpack. Anecdotal evidence. It's I got great. one right here. I got, yeah, it's lasted me five years. So okay. So there's uh there's your buy signal. But uh anyway, they also have Jack Wolf skin, and that's like outdoor apparel. Yeah, I think you could probably guess that from the name, but uh, they also—that's like hiking gear, jackets, sleeping bags, stuff like that. And then, and lastly, if you're uh, if you're thinking about Jack Wolfskin, sorry, uh, if you're an outdoorsy person in the United States, you might be like, oh, I've never heard of them. They're based in Europe and um, China mostly, so they're mm-hmm. trying to push the United States. But if you're like, oh, I've been to REI, I haven't really seen much Jack Wolfskin. Um, they're going to do that over the next year or so, or maybe the next few years, but. Yeah, they're not in the United States that much. Okay, and then lastly, they also just finalized, well, they have, apparently it still has to close, but they just sort of cemented their deal in October for a merger with Topgolf. No, it closed, it closed in March. It's already closed. It has officially closed. Okay, because on the conference call, it was like they were deliberating over it. Yeah, it's it's about a week ago, so really recently. All right. And uh, so that was the merger with Topgolf. Uh, And prior to the deal, they actually already owned 14% of Topgolf. Um, And that was because of their investment. I think they first invested in Topgolf all the way back in 2006. Um, And the deal values Topgolf at $2 billion. Uh, For reference, Topgolf did 1.1 billion in revenue in 2019. Um, So that's like, it's a it's a merger more than an acquisition. Like yeah. this is a, it's a huge part of the business now. Yeah, they're doubling their share count. I mean, I'll get into that in the valuation, but yeah. Okay, and then I'll I'll dive into the history here. So it was incorporated in California in 1982 with the sole purpose of selling high quality golf clubs. Uh, it was founded by Eli Calloway Jr., who had previously had a successful career in textiles and wine. Uh, the, those were the industries he was working in. So sounds like a decent life, wine and golf. Um, Carlsbad, yeah. yeah. And he uh, he was an, so he was an avid golfer. And at the time, History Sticks USA was one of the big club manufacturers. Uh, but they were beginning to run low on funds. And so they started looking for investors. And Eli uh, had just sold a vineyard for $9 million. This is according to Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt. But uh, he took those some of those profits and bought half of the company, and then two years later, two years later, he bought the other half as well. Um, and Callaway, that was in 1982 and 1984, and then Cal- Callaway went public on the New York Stock Exchange in 1992 with a market cap of 250 million. It actually reached a market cap of over three billion by 1997. Wow! So if you invested at the top in 1997, it would not have been a great investment. No, I mean, it would have been, been flat since then pre-merger, right? Because, I mean, they're doubling the share count, whatever, with the right. merger, but it's basically flattered down. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't surprise me, and I will get into this, but it doesn't surprise me that this was overbought at one it point. Can't. It became a hot stock in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, yeah, it makes sense. You want to talk to, I mean, yeah. you, or sorry? I was going to say, you want to get into the industry or you got- Yeah. I mean, I was going to say some anecdote that this used to be a dream job to work there when I was yeah. going to be an engineer on the beach, you know, researching golf clubs, working with pros. I mean, that, that was the dream life. But they, they are headquartered in Carlsbad. Carlsbad, so. yeah, it's in between San Diego and Los Angeles. But that doesn't really matter for investors. I'll get into the competition and industry. So the golf club market is about $3.6 billion estimated in 2019. And the golf ball market is about $1.1 billion. The estimates are that it'll probably grow at about GDP or maybe slightly higher since golf's having a little bit of a growth phase, but I wouldn't count on that. You know, 
they're not the growth is of uh, the market's not going to be strong apparel market is obviously larger but harder to define more competitors there too they're really competing with you know nike even lululemon uh, tons i mean dozens and dozens of competitors there but the driving industry range or sorry driving range industry is much larger it's north of 10 billion dollars and growing quickly and I mean, Top Golf's a little different. Like, there's not much competition with them that is scaled, and they're really building out their own concept. So, yeah, they're competing with the family, you know, driving range down the street, but they're also not in a way. It's more of an entertainment venue. But we can talk about that. I bet we'll talk about that a lot on the second half of the show. Uh, competitors for clubs would be, you know, TaylorMade, Titleist. Uh, TaylorMade is owned by Adidas, and there's Ping. Golf clubs are really top heavy, so like. If you look at the industry, it's there's really like four to five top dogs, which would be, you know, TaylorMade, Callaway, Titleist, like I mentioned before. TaylorMade has probably the number one leading drivers, but then Odyssey is the number one putter. So they're really kind of going back and forth each year. Golf balls are more of a commodity market. It's a lot lower part of their revenue, but outside of, I mean, I guess, you know, there's like those Pro V1s that kind of have a brand cachet, but really there's not much it feels a bit like a commodity to me and then like top golf like i said it's a unique asset yeah and then uh what about didn't you say costco is getting into the golf ball market as well oh yeah i mean even costco got into the mix they actually had a who was it tyler sued them because they copied uh the pro v1 patent but the kirkland signature ball yeah i mean they just made that it's, it's not tough to make uh, the golf ball you just need i don't know million in R&D, a <laughs> few million in R&D and just get them into the Costco warehouses there. They were selling uh, quickly. It seems strange listening to them like brag about their technological advantages with a golf ball. It seems like it couldn't make that big of a difference compared to its competitors. Am I uh, wrong? No, I mean, it's no, no. The, in a way you're wrong, but it's, it's a bit of a commodity because yeah, I mean, there's not much you can work with. There's only a few variables, right. you know, but the golf clubs, there's a lot more tech that goes into it. But enough of that. Uh, Brad, you want to talk management? Yeah. So the company was founded by Eli Calloway Jr. As Ryan kind of hit on, um, the current, or he passed away, um, very, very old legacy company. The current CEO and president is Oliver Brewer. Um, he was a former president and CEO of Adams Golf. He was an MBA at Harvard. Um, and yeah, pretty impressive background. Uh, Brian Lynch is the current CFO. He worked up the ranks with the company as a VP and general counsel. And he's been with the company for 22 years. And that just kind of goes with the pattern of the management team being made up of people who have been with the company for a very long time and who have slowly worked up the ladder to where they are today. Um, so just another highlight from the executive team, Mark Lepowski is the executive VP of operations. Um, he was the chief supply officer at Fisher Scientific and he was a COO at TaylorMade. So a lot of good and relevant experience there. And then the chairman of the board is John Lundgren, who's the former, or who is the current board member at Visa and the former chairman and CEO of Stanley Black and Decker. In nice. terms of ownership, uh, so all the, I had to double check this because uh, it's pretty pretty unique. So both, or all NASDAQ and Ycharts and Fintel all have institutional ownership at 96% um, with a well-defined pattern of accumulation. Fintel actually had that at 120%, which was a little strange to me. That so, might be, uh, just might be a bit off there. Yeah, so let's go with 96 um, for, for the sake of uh, the podcast. <laughs> and then, so largest holders, as you'd expect, are BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, Dimensional Fund Advisors, Fisher Asset Management, 
And then in terms of insider ownership, they just own 2% of the float and it's pretty stagnant at this point. Right. Yeah. Cause the founders and stuff, they've kind of, they've aged out or, or died or passed away. Yeah. And uh, the, and, or go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, if you're uh, the CEO also goes by the name chip brewer, his real name's Oliver Brewer, but he goes by that. So if you chips, all right, see if you, I know, there's so many golf puns we could be making, but um, yeah, if you see that name, that's, also, he is the CEO of Callaway. Yep. I just put that together. That's awesome. Chip Brewer. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That's a <laughs> good, good pun by him. Or maybe it was actually his name, but I'll get to the valuation. So a caveat here, I believe Coifin, which was, I was getting the data here, has integrated the merger into that. So it's a bit confusing. The market cap is about $5.4 billion. Enterprise value will be a lot higher. Uh, closer to $6 billion because of the debt they have on the balance sheet. The ticker is ELY, which E, e what is it? Is it Eli? Was it? Eli is, yeah. yeah Eli Callaway was, that's was the, the name of the, that's the name of uh, the founder, right? That was his that's first, his first name. name. Yeah. I, I took a pronunciation leap, but I think it's Eli. Okay. Yeah. It seems weird. Like, or Ellie, but Ellie could be Ellie. <laughs> it's definitely Eli. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the market cap is about $5.4 billion post merger. Uh, they, issue 90 million shares for the merger of Topgolf, which is doubling basically their share count. Well, less than doubling. And there was the ownership stake they already had. So you got to take that into consideration. But with that, the price to sales would be about two when you consider adding Topgolf. And we haven't seen the data um, updated with uh, the Topgolf, but I think in the fall at some point, they did something on the revenue numbers. It was about 1.1 billion in Topgolf revenue. Price to operating cash flow is about 23.5. But as Ryan will get into, there were some one-time bumps in 2020. So that was inflated a bit. Um, it wasn't really tracking the earnings as much as you would like. So it's the valuation is likely on a normalized basis, a little bit higher. Um, and yeah, so don't, I mean, you're going to look at this. It's going to look weird. The market cap went from like $2.7 billion to like five points something just randomly. And that is because, you know, the Topgolf merger went through. So when yeah. you're looking at that, don't look at it differently, but pretty simple to value the company. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. We're not looking at any, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very simple. It know? is very, uh, this year was so weird for both them uh, because of COVID, but then also the merger, we don't know what Topgolf's most recent numbers were. We don't yes. know how they were yep. affected by COVID. Yes. But if we assume that they kept that $1.1 billion in sales from 2019 through to 2020, like if we think they did better or at least flat, then they'd be roughly around $3 billion in sales um, between yeah, the less, two companies. Yeah. Yep. So they had uh, Callaway in 2020 did 1.6 billion in sales. That was actually down six and a half percent year over year. The soft goods market was kind of uh, beaten up there in the heart of COVID. Um, and they had 41% gross margins. Uh, typically that's around 45%, but they had some facilities that were they had to pay for that weren't operating and so there was a lot of costs associated with covid for them and then negative 105 million in operating income because of a goodwill and impairment write-off uh, of its jack wolfskin brand so they acquired jack wolfskin i believe in 2018 i'm blanking on the number for that they paid for it um, but they wrote down i think almost 170 million uh on that acquisition now sometimes we were 
we were laughing because we always see companies say, we're just going to take the write-off. But sometimes the companies do sort of over-exaggerate that write-off for tax purposes because they're going to pay less in taxes on their gap income or if their gap income is reported as lower. But the important thing to do is just pay attention to cash flow at that point um, because yeah. that's going to tell the true story. Yeah, um, it's nice on taxes, but you got to think it's probably, you know, the business isn't as strong as it once was. But there, Yeah, there is. I mean, they're writing down or they're impairing the value of that business based on its estimate of cash flows. So there is some uh, reality that uh, Jack Wolfskin has probably had a rougher year. Um, but at the same time, they could have over-exaggerated it for the tax purposes. Um, and then uh, there was obviously, there were some working capital adjustments with inventory. And so that's going to affect cash flow because they reported 230 million in operating cash flow, which was up almost 200% year over year. Um, and so a lot of that uh, came from the working capital adjustment. And then in the fourth quarter, revenue actually grew 20% year over year. Interesting note, 49% growth in the golf clubs uh, revenue, which I guess everyone's golfing now. I, I didn't expect yeah. that, but, um, and then the weighted average shares outstanding actually came down year over year. Obviously that's gonna change, but I think it was down like two or 3%. Obviously now they're gonna double that share count essentially. So uh, I, the buybacks were probably not that useful, but then uh, oh, I guess they were, but they yeah, spend a lot a of, sorry, what? I said, yeah, just a bit, you know? Yeah. Just a little bit. And then they spend a lot of money on marketing and selling costs as well. So they like they partner essentially with pro athletes. I guess they sponsor them. So they have to pay for that. And then they also have golf network ads, which I, I think no, I seems a little that. pointless. No, 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 they're, no, there's, there's, they're good. The, like, Cause I mean, you already know what the audience is. They're going to be watching the golf tournaments. I'll say the ads are don't, weird. Don't you think they already know? Well, you know what? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you could argue that for anything, but the yes. uh, they got to know what new clubs are coming out. I'll say their commercials are a bit cringy because they talk about we have AI enabled drivers and every company is doing that, but it's just weird. Uh, but no, I mean, it makes sense to market your clubs on the Golf Channel for sure. I mean, that's the only it's the only place you probably should be marketing. I think that's like I think their selling costs are around twenty six percent of revenue. I might be getting that number wrong, but uh, and then R and D was actually lower than I would have expected. They do spend a, lot, a decent amount of money on R&D, just basically finding the next uh, set of drivers. They're trying to advance. I, I don't know how much further they can go. It feels like drivers have already made it pretty far. Or golf no, there's a have. ton of, there's a ton of, I mean, there's a ton of tech that goes into a driver. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables. Okay. All right. Uh, Brad, you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity? Yeah. Uh, also on the advertising front, maybe CNBC, Bloomberg, other yes, to be some advertising in probably a good audience for them. That's true. Uh, so the balance sheet, it's not, it's not pristine, but it's not as bad as I was expecting considering a pretty large merger, but that is because they paid for it in stock and, and not in, in cash. So they didn't uh, raise a ton of debt for it. Um, as of right now, as of their last report, they had 366 million in cash versus a little over a hundred million year per year. Inventory control was pretty impressive. Uh, got it tip the hat to them, inventory down 23% year over year in the midst of some pretty daunting and and uncertain times. So so good job there. Uh, 650 million in long-term debt with another 220 or 255 million in lease liabilities. Um, so based on their EV, it's not terrible, 
um, but not pristine, probably closer to pristine than terrible, but somewhere in the middle. Um, and then again, highlighting that cash impairment charge or non-cash impairment charge it took with Jack Wolfskin. Um, goodwill doesn't necessarily mean future M&A events or like Top Golf are going to come with write downs, but it, it's, it is something to consider. Yeah, that long-term debt isn't something to ignore with them. Um, it's pretty meaningful. Like if you're looking at this and you kind of, I don't know, you kind of get, um, I don't know if I'm missing the word, you look at larger companies and you see, oh, $600 million in debt, that's not meaningful. But with a company of Callaway size, $650 million in debt is really meaningful, especially when, I don't know how much, uh, they say adjusted EBITDA too. Uh, what do you have on the cash flow there, Ryan? Well, you yeah. $30 million? I mean, normalized is even lower. So it really is banking off top golf becoming a cash machine in a few years yeah it's, it's not a it's oh, sorry it's it's not an at&t or a viacom but it is not it is not a pretty balance sheet um that that's for sure yeah, yeah the six do we know what uh interest they have on that debt uh at all? we should have looked at that beforehand but yeah knowing the gosh knowing yeah when it's due and the interest on that would be interesting and um, the i i would say the only reason I'd be somewhat fearful of that long-term debt number is because the predictability going forward, it's kind of hard to tell what demand's going to be like. They, It's been really, really solid in Q3 and Q4, but there's always that, there's the risk that lockdowns or something like that prohibits well, as much uh, golf play. Yeah. So Q2 is their number one quarter uh, because when, it, what would that be? April, summer. April, May, and June, because it's leading into the summer season when everyone's typically playing, uh, around the world, or at least in, uh, the Northern hemisphere. And if that, that, if that's bad again, that could be terrible. And then really Q2 last year, that timing, uh, with COVID was the reason that the year was so bad. So, you know, I mean, it could, it could be on the other hand, you could have you know, a huge positive with the reopening and people wanting to get outside and stuff like that. But I don't know. There's a lot of variables to play because people could already play, you know, outside last year. It's just not, yeah, there's just a little bit of a lack of predictability. And that's the only reason I'd have some concerns with that debt number. But uh, I mean, if they are able to generate, generate a normalized operating cash flow number of like 150 million, uh, I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah. And that's just from the legacy business. That's not including top golf on top of it. Um, So anything else? Or we're going to hit the break. All right, we're going to hit the break, and then we'll get back and talk about the future of Callaway Golf. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages. We'll kick things off with Brad. What do you have? As a, as a brand competing with a lot of other deep-pocketed brands that are capable of taking market share, it's hard to, to give them a specific competitive advantage. But I will say their size and their clout allows them to sign um, popular athletes like John Rahm and, and Phil Mickelson, a very long-term relationship with him. So, so that it, I think is how they, they differentiate themselves by, by signing these popular athletes and having them wearing their, um, their, their gear and using their clubs. Yeah. The, they just signed John Rahm, which is nice. 
I mean, it's tough. It's like hard to see how that helped from an investing perspective, but yeah, he's one of the top young players. I mean, they got Phil Nicholson, I guess, who's the number two kind of the Tiger Woods, but Taylor made, I was looking at the players they have, they really have an advantage over Callaway. Now Callaway has an advantage maybe over a lot of smaller players, but Taylor made has like Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson and Roy McIlroy, like three of the top five. So I don't know. It's tough. To we got play. Bryson. I don't know. I don't know. He, uh, I don't know who, uh, he, he they win. <laughs> yeah. Um, wins. Yeah. But to that point, the, it is pretty, there's not any clear cut. Maybe I'm wrong, but there doesn't seem to be any clear cut technological advantage that they have over competitors because it's always flipping who's the number one each year. So there isn't anything profound in that regard, but they are the largest golf equipment manufacturer in the U S according to what I saw. Some of these companies are not public. I think he said Taylor made was it Taylor made was was Taylor made owned by Adidas. Yeah. Titleist is on its own. I believe those are the big three. Nike. There's some other smaller ones. Nike's out of it. I mean, competes a lot in the soft goods. uh, Yes. But the, the golf equipment. Yeah. They, didn't Ping. do that. They used to be pings in it a bit too. Pings in it a bit too. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say there's anything, I guess, any big advantage that way, but the size and scale, I do think is an advantage because they can kind of become more of a conglomerate, unlike maybe a ping or a titleist. Um, and when I say conglomerate, I mean outside of just typical golf. Like they, they've obviously made that their goal. They've been acquiring a lot of apparel goods, outdoor lifestyle kind of things. Um, whether it was Jack Wolfskin, OGO, it feels like they're kind of going with the Pepsi model where they have their namesake, their brand, their their primary soda, which is golf equipment in this regard, but then they can make those acquisitions that are sort of adjacent to it, um, like the lifestyle stuff that they've made. Yeah, the bull case isn't, the golf equipment's gone, not going to make this a 10-bagger. It's got to be some sort of, you know, and Pepsi wasn't going to make Pepsi a 10-bagger or whatever. But yeah. they, all the other things they acquired, honestly, were more important. So I guess, and, yeah, that is a good good comparison. Yeah, I know you're about to touch on this, but Top Golf is obviously, uh, I think that will be a huge advantage. Yeah, um, it's going to be where the whole future growth thing is. That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's also the growth opportunity. Yeah, Top Golf on its own. Um, I guess this was, it's not here now, but Top Golf could be a good funnel for apparel, gear, clubs, and balls. Now, a lot of people aren't really shopping there. If you're maybe the, I don't know, like a real diehard or something like that, but it is a good funnel. I mean, they got millions of people going to these places. There's more and more every year. I think, you know, trying on the clubs, testing them out. If you're giving people Callaway over the other brands at first, that's a, that's an advantage. And then also selling the apparel because when you look at Top Golf, it's not necessarily that driving range where someone just gets that cheap bucket and is just hitting for an hour. It's more of an entertainment menu. And pre-COVID, it was a place where they'd take a lot of corporate events and like 20-person outings. So if they're selling apparel there, I think that could work as well because some people just really like if you're going to if you're going to one of these events, some people don't even like to golf. <laughs> so like it, it seems like you know the boss forcing people to go to one of these things, but they have a place to shop for other things if you're interested in you know apparel and outdoorsy stuff or whatever but they could also raise rates like presentation rates for other companies in those pro stores like if ping wants to or tailor made wants to go uh present their stuff uh, on the front of the racks 
they can start to raise prices that yeah. way. Yeah, there's a few ways they could go about it. They can make it exclusive Callaway stuff um, too as well. There's a few ways, um, but they definitely can use that as, you know, top golf itself seems like a good asset, but they could also use it to hopefully supercharge their other brands. It sounds great, you know, synergies, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it sounds great in theory. I'm not sure how much the execution will work there, but well, I mean, let's get into the, right into the future growth opportunity. Brad, you want to talk about yours? Yeah, sticking with Top Golf, um, I do think that that like golfing is uniquely kind of resistant to the, the e-commerce and, and the yes. the the online sales thing. Um, golf clubs mainly, um, just because I mean, when I have, have purchased sets in the, in the past, I, I've tried tons of them, um, tried tried several different brands and several different models, and um, was pretty obsessive about it. Um, and and I'm sure I'm not the only one there. So I do think that while Top Golf is uh, more of an entertainment destination today that the future growth opportunity there um, beyond just continuing on with the, the, the growth trajectory it's currently enjoying would be turning it into more of a, uh, of a, a driving range with, with pros and in a fitting center so that they can really cross sell their, their brand um, in this brick and mortar model that they can now enjoy using. Yeah. The, the cross sell is important. I think the fitting center thing is another way they can grow as well. They could, potentially disrupt, you know, in all the, the metropolitan areas, there's those golf superstores. I think there's not really one that's big nationwide. I know in Seattle, we have something called putts or pro golf discount. Those could be nationwide, but yeah, top golf could turn to that as well, where the testing is important. You got the top tracer stuff that Ryan's going to talk about, but using that brick and mortar as an asset and the e-commerce is not necessarily a threat. I know I bought a $50 driver on Amazon once and I was really upset with my purchase. So I don't think many people are buying these online yearly. I mean, you got to test them out yourself. I would also say, uh, so I think I was kind of the ideal top golf customer. I, I started as a non-golf person and those, uh, their mix is about 50% non-golf people, 50% golf people. Right. So uh, I was kind of non-golf, but it funnels people into real golf. They said 75% of the people that went to top golf uh, said they would like to play on an actual course in 2021. So if you're taking that 50% of non-golfers and converting them to real golfers and Callaway owns that pro club, uh, there is definitely cross-sell opportunity. But I'll, I'll get into the top tracer stuff. So um, if you're not familiar, it is the leading ball tracing technology and it has basically changed the way golf is watched. So uh, if you ever watched golf in like 2015, I think sometimes they'd lose the ball. No, they had it before. It's been uh, the first time they had it was 2006, but before really? that, yeah, before that, it was, it, I mean, it was before that, it's impossible to watch the little white ball on the screen and think about it, it was before HD. So you basically just look into a pixelated screen and then it would land on the green and be like, oh, it was a good shot. But, yeah. And so, but now if you see the blue line that kind of tracks the ball, that is top yeah. tracer technology. Uh, I think for the most part. And then they've also deployed this technology to 7,500 driving ranges across the globe. And that's apparently only 1% of the addressable market. Uh, only 1% um, of TAM. <laughs> yeah. I, but I mean, you think about it. I think a lot of the driving ranges, I don't know how competitive the tracer technology stuff is, but I think a lot of the driving ranges will adopt this over time. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know there was that many driving ranges around the world, but I guess it's a pretty large market. Yeah. Cause it's really easy to do. I mean, there's, there's tons of these tiny ones out there. Yeah. And revenue from the top tracer segment has grown 233% over the last three years. Uh, if you're wondering how it actually works, I have 
how it actually works, I have a quote here. There are cameras and sensors that create a 3D space where objects enter in that space are tracked. The light waves created by the golf ball allows the software to track the ball flight and show up on the screen. This is why the range needs a certain level of lighting. So maybe it doesn't fit for all ranges, but uh, yeah, it, it seems like probably, I would say maybe the most valuable asset in that uh, top golf acquisition. Yeah, that the, I do like that part of it a lot. I've been to a range that uses it. Um, it seems nice. I didn't try it out because it is a bit expensive and you kind of got to have to go in with the, you know, idea of you're going to use it, but it's helped. I mean, it's definitely an asset where one, you can charge more to people. So it helps the ranges as well. Um, it's kind of a win-win scenario. They're not trying to compete with the ranges. They're, they're really helping them. And especially the ones that aren't going to be in areas that could use a top golf venue because a regular top golf venue, they're giant, most areas don't need them. It's got to be in a big metropolitan area or maybe a metropolitan area with at least 100,000 people or more, maybe 250,000 if I'm really thinking about it. But the top treasure technology, I mean, it's got to be high margin. One, you have deals with broadcast teams. You have deals with the PGA. It seems a bit to me, now this is kind of a weird comparison. It's almost a bit like EA Sports with FIFA or Madden or something like that, where they're going to be the exclusive operator. It's tough to disrupt that. Mm. It's even if it's the technology is copyable, unless they lose the deal that, you know, something like that, where it's like, all right, you can rely on this being, you know, licensed every year. I don't know how much of the business it is, but yeah. I yeah. I mean, the revenue growth numbers are really impressive over the last three years, uh, but uh, they did not give a nominal number. No, they did not. That's a little bit of a red flag, I guess, that it's not that big. But I mean, again, the margins on this got to be really really strong like yeah. and i don't even know if they do uh what's interesting is maybe it's a paper use like all right you're in a driving range you have a fixed cost to get it in there but they just take cut off of uh, yeah but i bet they pass that fixed cost or i bet that they probably pass the implementation cost to the range yeah um so that that's not a lot of capital up front maybe a 10 percent take rate <laughs> i don't know or, or spitballing but <laughs> it could just be like sort of subscription like you or pay for it each month Either uh, both is pricing yeah, both, on it, I guess. Yeah, both business models are good. I mean, after I guess the next 10K or 10Q, once Top Golf is uh, officially merged with them, now that they have been, they're gonna have to talk about it, right? Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. I wish it merged. I wish it happened beforehand, uh, before yeah. the end of this year, but so we can get on the 10K. Um, that's why they did it. They don't want to have to put an extra 20 pages on the 10K. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And they also we didn't hit this, but they own the most popular mobile golf game called World, World Golf Tour. I think it has 40 million downloads worldwide. Top Golf does? Yeah, Top Golf owns that. So wow. I, I don't know how valuable of an asset that is either, but eh, I don't know. Yeah. What's your uh, growth opportunity? Uh, so yeah, I mean, Top Golf is the one that is really the driver here. But so you guys have those, but I they estimate there's about 24 million golfers right now worldwide. That's grown. They got a boost from COVID and it's been growing the last few years. There's been, I don't know, the market's just been strong overall. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I'm not sure if that's going to continue at a high rate, but it's something can consider. Like, will there be 30 million golfers worldwide by 2025? Is it just going to grow slowly? Um, but it, either way, if there is that growth, it'll lift the entire industry up because you know, we talk about them being sort of in a tough spot competing with Titleist, TaylorMade, paying for clubs. But if they keep their market share, 
that will, you know, if they keep their market share and the entire industry raises, like it's not, I don't know, they're, they're going to do well. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think Callaway's become, I don't think the apparel and the golf equipment part has become that central to thesis anymore. I think top golf is sort of the main driver at this point. Yeah. And if anything, top golf is going to be the start where, you know, if they're going to grow the game as they call it, you know, get more people to use it. Top golf might be the way that drives that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And that, I mean, that kind of, let, let's get into highlights and lowlights because I'll be talking about that. But Brad, you want to go first? I love to see how many people from that management team have just been with the company for decades. I, that, that gives me encouragement that you know, it, it's a good place to work. Um, they're, they're improving their talent and, and, and fostering success. And I, I always like to see that. So um, that, that would be my highlight, um, the management team, um, how, how long they've been with the company. And then two lowlights, I guess. Um, one would be the demographic of golf. And this, so, so you do get the deeper pocketed consumers by catering to more of a, an older demographic, but it just it raises the stakes for you continuing to have to um, attract new people into the sport to continue that top line growth. Um, and, and then also, what was my second one? Um, now let's just stick with the one low light. I can't, I can't think of the second one. Uh, the, uh, yeah, that, that is a good point though, that the marketing spend is going to stay consistent. It doesn't mean that they can't be profitable and they have been profitable in the past, but the marketing spend will probably be, I don't know, 10 to 20% of revenue. And you should expect that over, over the long term. Yeah. I would also say this acquisition didn't seem like it, they were already invested. So yeah. they were tracking the progress of this investment. And then finally they said, I, we, we want to merge with it. They know how well this business has been doing. Yeah. Um, so, it's done so it's done extremely well. And it's not like they just, randomly went out and bought it as like a last ditch effort to reinvent the business. Like it's because they probably saw huge cross sell opportunities with it. Um, and so, yeah, that really is central to probably any thesis at this point um, is top golf as a part of the business. I also think it's like the perfect introductory system for new golfers. Um, I, 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 it's going to ease the process of getting into real golf uh, yeah. for sure. And I also think, uh, it, people like to buy the gear before they get good at golf Yeah. instead of getting good and then buying the gear. Only the, I mean, the people that really, really want to get good probably will buy gear uh, after the fact. But I think a lot of people go out to the course for the first time and they're like, I need all the clothes. I need the shoes and the gloves. <laughs> so maybe that's a buy signal for, uh, <laughs> maybe that's bullish for Callaway. Uh, my low light though is, and I'm probably reaching here, but the overlap between the investing community and golfers is pretty high, uh, I, or at least historically it has been, uh, which makes me feel like a lot of investors are going to try to justify ownership because of their affinity for the brand, which is probably yeah. what happened in 1997, maybe. I imagine. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I might Seems be reaching like there, but it feels like you're... It just, I instantly think that my bias is getting in the way that I like the brand. I like golfing. So why not own it? Yeah. Eh, but top but the, golf, insider, the insider ownership kind of, I think, dissuades that a bit just because if Vanguard and BlackRock are majority ownership, you know, I, I don't know if these yeah. people, I don't know if investors like us were like, oh, I like golf. I don't know if we're moving the market, but I think the point, the point's logical for sure. Yeah. But at this, yeah, I don't, top golf, kind of introduces a new element though, because it's not the, 
it's like owning all the bowling alleys in the U.S. Yeah. Then actually, like the coolest ones, or whatever. I don't know yeah. if it's the coolest, but the, the the biggest and most technologically advanced. I've never been to one, but they sound a top golf. No, oh, I don't. They, I don't think they have one in Seattle. It's criminal. You got to go. Yeah, I'm gonna make a whole trip out of it. I'm gonna go on a flight. But <laughs> the, I think one note the about top golf is that. You know, you might look and see, oh, there's not that many venues worldwide, but I think they said on the call in the fall that each venue does, once they're ramped up, about $17 million in revenue each mm. uh, annual annual revenue. So they open about 8 to 10 a year, and that's really going to drive the growth. I mean, they don't need that many venues to uh, to, to do well. But their, their food is also probably high margin. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's incredibly small portions at an expensive and price. Expensive. So <laughs> there you that's go. more, maybe that's a low light, but they've got <laughs> high margin food. No, yeah, it's like movie theaters, right? But yeah, yeah I'll, I'll hit mine. I mean, integration with Topgolf seems good. Apparel business. Throw that on top of that. It can work well together if they execute, manage the team, like Brad said. Like them seems strong. They seem to run a financially sound operation. You know, outside of you know shipping hiccups in 2020, and now uh, they have some debt on the balance sheet. But it looks like in the past they weren't. I don't know. Like when I look at what the financial team or the 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 not the whatever the CFO office how they're managing the balance sheet and stuff like that, it looks like they have shareholders at heart where a lot of tech companies and stuff like that, I'm like, come on, like, you know, you kind of are like, all right, well, we're just going to give away all these shares, blah, 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 the balance sheet. And they're not really treating their shareholders as in the best light. I think, you know, they're not the best here, but it seems fine. Low lights, the equipment and apparel business industry, or sorry, industry, excuse me, can't talk today. They seem like semi commodities. You know, the industry doesn't seem that appealing. Uh, the golf club industry to me, it, while it's kind of cool, while they may have a tiny bit of a moat, it's not great. Can the moat be built with Top Golf at the center? Maybe you know Top Golf seems like a great business, but I don't know the equipment industry is not something I really get excited about. Uh, I don't know. It seems like the business you want to be in in the golf industry is the player, where they're basically everyone's paying you to do stuff. Like Callaway has to pay whoever Phil Nicholson probably millions a year. And that's yeah, like, yeah. you know, you need them. And you, there's a lot of expenses here on, on Callaway's side. Of but business. you're not investing in Phil Mickelson. <laughs> I know. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the point. New, so. uh, new exchange? <laughs> no, that's, that's the, uh, oh, well, that comes back to those, those new exchanges out there for those influencers or whatever, the, the yeah. worst thing imaginable. But I think that's it. More or less interested. Wrap things up. Brad, you want to go first? Sure. There's no real red flags to point out and say this company is is not investable. It's bad, but there's there's also nothing that really jumps off the page and and makes me really excited to invest. Uh, maybe over the next several quarters, if they do start to kind of execute and show what Top Golf really can be, um, I would start to uh, be a little more interested um, in potentially starting an investment in the company. But as of right now, I think I'm I'm just going to stay on the sidelines. Okay, Ryan. Um more interested uh 50% of the business i absolutely love 50% i could care less about owning so there's that sort of uh and it's not necessarily like it's not like it's bad right it's just kind of like eh, this is, i want to yeah, yeah i want to own it i mean maybe if it's cheap enough i don't know but uh it's not a business i'm super excited to invest in that equipment side i think we're all on the same page in that yeah um but top golf is uh, i would like to see 
what their earnings were in 2020. I would like to see some financials before I made any decisions, obviously. But uh, I bet they're losing money because it takes a lot of capital investments to build out these things. But it doesn't mean I I thought, the unit well, economics seem really strong. I think they had an EBITDA number, which doesn't mean much, I guess. Yeah, just uh, EBITDA. <laughs> um, I think they had a positive EBITDA number, which take it with a grain of salt. But and they, uh, I think they said again, adjusted EBITDA, so like, you know, whatever. But they have about five million for venue um, once they're up and running again. I'd love to see the audited numbers because, as we know, uh, I just I just think about the Peloton CEO say we're surprisingly profitable in that one year <laughs> when they were losing millions and millions of dollars. But yeah, I don't know. They seem. What about you? More or less. I'm more interested, but right now not crazy interested. Like I want to see. Have to wait till the next 10Q. Okay? Yeah, if you look at like the the cash flow numbers right now, it looks like relatively like a market multiple, but normalized, it seems pretty expensive. I mean, Top Golf's great, but it almost feels like to me where the business this will be a better investment because of the predictability. If we can see a year or two of I don't know, the integration working, right? Because if they get it working, this could be a decade long runway of, um, I don't know, you know, highly yeah, they, predictable growth. Uh, it's, if you worry about, you know, getting the valuation getting too high after that, but I don't know, I'm not comfortable right now. If the problem, they, they have to be transparent about Top Golf's financials and the top trace of stuff. If they're not transparent about it, they're losing a lot of potential investors uh, um, because that, <laughs> I, I would not own Callaway for its equipment business. Yeah, that I think I think we're all in agreement there. Yeah, I mean, there's so many fascinating things about this business, but it's it's tough. It, it's just something where I, I there's too many unknowns. Yeah, you know what I mean. All right, Brad. Anything before we wrap things up? Oh no, you're show. You're choosing. Week. You're choosing next week. So what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, I actually remember my second low light. You guys reminded me of it when um, you were you were talking about waiting on the investment. So, so I think this is theoretical and I don't have evidence to support it, but, but it seems like golf was a pretty, um, pretty in, in the sweet spot of, of COVID-19 activities of um, you're outside and your social distancing and, and, and stayed open while other things didn't. So I, I, it makes me want to wait even more um, seeing how they do when the world kind of goes back to normal, um, how much of that demand was, was transitory um, and, and how much is going to stick around. But uh, enough about that. The the next week uh, episode is going to be a, the brand new FinTwit darling um, upstart the AI um, so artificial intelligence and machine learning. We get to talk about that. Super exciting. Competitor um, with Callaway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a lending platform um, that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to be a, a better lending platform. Um, I know very little about the company, so I'm excited to dig in. Right. I'm excited to dig in, learn about it, and then be like, dang, I still don't understand this, but we'll do our, <laughs> we'll do our, we'll do our best. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, as always, Brian and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital uh, investors may, have, may own securities discussed in this podcast. We are not financial advisors. Anything we see on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.